Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. no idea how far I could push my abilities, on this side of waking at any rate. While I dabbled at their application here and there, I'd never really cut loose. There was a sense of consequence to altering the solid world, an unspoken threat. Wherever I touched it with more than just the breadth of a dream, I could feel a frigid power trying to cram it right back into my head. I got that exact impression from my brother's eyes, those bottomless points of freezing banality. Or was it something else? Yet, unlike the world whose disgust at my power is palpable, my brother's eyes only hint at hatred, their power passing harmlessly over. My own ability seemed to grant him the same exception, as it had a reciprocal and abiding hatred for all things sound and sane. But when my light fell over Isaiah, there was a tolerance, if not an acceptance of him. We were fire and ice for sure, but of a more strangely forgiving nature. Maybe it was Isaiah's effortless acceptance of me that made me comfortable pushing my boundaries. Or maybe it was the intensity of our collective venture. But whether one or the other or both, the ease with which I floated out the window and onto the roof was startling and exhilarating. I wasn't too worried about my brother, the famed insomniac no less. Anyone who could single-handedly nix the salamander was likely just fine against Scrim's bodyguards and their bizarro pets. Besides, I'd seen scarier creatures my first day at the sleep lab. Isaiah would be just fine. From my vantage, I could better appreciate one of the largest obscurum in the world, the Pyramid of Knox. It was almost invisible in the darkness, nearly taking up the entire sky, or at least appearing to. Its glassy facade reflected the stars, and once you recognized the illusion, it gave the cityscape an eerie, otherworldly quality. An underground city named Undor was said to reside below the structure, a vast, sprawling place older than light. I could feel the pull of fantasy, the gravity of my own imagination threatening to implode my focus, my sense of purpose. 
prying myself away from the looming pyramid of petrified darkness took all my effort. I could still hear Dr. Scrim blathering about nocturnalism, his amplified voice crackling high into the air, contaminating it. Realizing that his role in all of this was nearly assured, and that he was indeed friend to inhuman forces, transformed my previous impression of the man, whose many books and papers were required reading on so many esoteric topics. I'd tasted that dream of his, and I wanted more. Or I was just sick of not knowing what the hell was going on. With Scrim's guards distracted, I likely had the opportunity to do some deeper digging. But I needed to get closer, to where my dream might sink its fangs a little deeper. I moved over the rooftops like some gothic Mary Poppins, pushing off the occasional eave and chimney to give myself a bit of momentum. While I loved the idea of floating about town sans carpet bag, I was rapidly collapsing the boundary between dream and reality. <laughs> a big no-no. I sat down in another alleyway, looking for any stragglers. Then, after only a few minutes, what should my blue eyes behold but a night lover late to the party? He was a wide fella, wearing a black animal mask beneath a tall hood, all wrapped in black silk and carrying a dragon-headed cane, which he tapped almost rhythmically along his route. I stepped into his path and lifted my gaze to him, blazing blue. <sighs> a few minutes later, and I was wrapped in a second, if ill-fitting, cloak, a hood replacing my high collar and a fine cane wrapping the pavement by my side. The nice gentleman who donated it all lay tucked behind a dumpster, snoring his way through dreamland. I began feeling trippy, diffused from all the dream casting. <sighs> I had to dial things back before I lost control. It was too easy to get confused at this level, too easy to slip away. I was halfway through the crowd before I knew it, keeping my eyes down and my dreams to myself until the right time. I glanced up to navigate, snatching glimpses of the rolling crowds, the drifting smoke of a legion of lanterns and candles illuminating Grimner Square, and the thousands of eyes that widened at the words of the Scholar of Darkness. Scrim managed the crowd like a shepherd herding sheep, his voice lulling them into an obedient stupor. At that range, I could make the good doctor out, or not-so-good doctor as the case might be. He was fairly short, but his gauntness made him seem taller. A large, round pair of jet-black goggles gripped his face, almost too tightly, it seemed. Along his temples, where the thing held itself in place, were pronounced striations of aged gray skin, almost like they were fused to his face. And unsurprisingly, he was attired entirely in black, a large black top hat adorning his bulbous head. Blending in and moving closer, I could see a few of his goons standing close by, their faces hidden behind black masks. Whatever else the doctor may have been, he was apparently some kind of a sensitive, having detected my earlier dream probe. This time, I padded my dream with muddier imagery, hopefully putting it under the radar. The only problem was I'd also get hazier images in return. 
But at that point, any clues were worth their weight in gold. The dream went up, rapidly filling with the darkest imagery, tugged free of the crowd by my adjusted dream primer. I quickly approached my limit, though. The world squirmed at my periphery, losing cohesion. I couldn't shake the feeling that the crowd was ogling me, staring a black hole through my disguise. When I looked up, I was sure a number of attendees had only at that very moment looked away. A man pushed past me, and I could have sworn he called me a sleep witch. <sighs> I needed to scram as soon as I could, but not without another piece of the puzzle. Maybe something to go with the mention of the many-headed crown. I sifted through the grit with my dream catcher until I saw the slightest glimmer of gold. The faintest image of a book appeared. The letters on its cover skittered around like insects. Dreams and the printed word have never been close friends. But the clue was good enough. It had to be. Even though I wasn't looking up much as I shrunk away, I imagined what was happening. Every member of the crowd tilted their heads back, their mouths cracking open beyond the limit of their jaws, a communal snapping sound echoing through the night. And then, liquid darkness, geysers of blackest oil, spilled and gurgled upwards from their broken mouths. Except the gushing liquid didn't fall back to earth, but only flowed together, forming a layer of roiling pitch that stretched out over and above the square. I could almost feel the jetty tentacles reaching for me from the floating sea. I had to force myself not to run, force the delusion from my mind long enough to escape without drawing attention. Almost through the crowd, but feeling so many eyes on me, I was tempted to cut my way through the rest of them. The fear of being pulled up into that liquid night screamed at me to run. I didn't look back until I stood safely on the opposite side of the street. And when I did look back, there was no bubbling river of otherworldly crude seizing the skies above the crowd. Just Grimm and his endless stream of propaganda. Isaiah and I had already decided that if for whatever reason we got separated, we'd meet back up at a certain spot in the Black Orchards. A few pills and a half hour later, I started to settle down. Even though I thought those monster footsteps were at it again. Those that were clearly not the fallout of my own dream, but now confirmed by the good folks of Discovery Team 27. There was all kinds of action behind the scenes of Scrim's lecture. The back streets and alleyways were teeming with gliding black cars and crowds of questing thugs. At first, I thought they were guard details, making sure Scrim's lecture wasn't interrupted, or just more goons on the hunt for me and Romy. But as I crept closer to a park Neo Packard Deluxe, a popular model among the muscle and nighthead, I distinctly heard two guys talking about Kyle Paris. He was towing up pretty bad, blood and guts everywhere. Whoever they were, they walked right over his shooters, three of them. All of them torn up just like him. All I could think of was someone had taken him out for talking to me, which, upon second thought, didn't make any sense. 
Only Kyle's own people would frown on his conversation with me. And if Romy's Reed was on the nose, he was all cozied up with the Calistagos, who, I'd bet my own polished Neil Packard Deluxe, were behind the guys hunting for Kyle's killer. Just another fact that didn't square with what little we'd managed to figure out. Betting that Romy was waiting for me, I headed to our prearranged meetup spot in the Black Orchard, careful to avoid the square and the mobs of thugs. The going was slow, as the city was packed to the gills, and I had no good way of distinguishing between thug and lecture-goer. But one thing was certain. If I was caught wandering the streets, I'd likely be yanked into a car or maybe a back alley and asked some pretty tough questions. As I neared some scattered thickets that would lead me straight into the black orchards, I recalled the words of Team 27 psychic, Maria Stapleton, how she thought they were all being watched through the darkness itself, like it was a peephole for devils. With all the growing connections between Nighthead and Maros, or was it Kilroy and Calistago, I wasn't sure the events of Maros couldn't just as easily happen here, and Romy and I had been made the second we stepped into the city's darkness. Everything was on the table now, and the pile was only getting bigger. Ducking out of sight when a line of cars passed by, I noticed something odd through one of their windows. The silhouette of something big and round, just like the helmet from one of those vintage diving suits. It was the Galtoro character Romy saw in her sleep read. <sighs> so much for the embellishment of a dream. The cars turned down a dirt road not far ahead of me, curving into the other side of the orchard. I'd meet up with Romy soon enough. I had to see what this Galtoro was up to. Looked like Kyle managed to hook me up with a lead after all, even if he had to die to give it up. I was able to keep pace with the cars once the way became more path than road. This part of the black orchard seemed especially dark. The car's taillights were swallowed almost completely, spared only a shrinking red oval, and the headlights were just the dimmest glow upon the road, a melting trail of moonlit frost. It didn't take too long for the little caravan to pull up in front of a small hunting cabin. There were already two other cars parked out in front. Gul Toro was the last to exit a vehicle, standing over seven feet if he was an inch. I couldn't make him out clearly, but in addition to his crazy helmet, he looked to be wearing some kind of metal suit, even had breathing tubes coiling down from the sides of the gigantic headgear. His goons waited for him, filing into the cabin right behind him. Before I snuck up to a window, I checked the grounds around the cabin for snoops. I wanted to make sure the drivers of the two cars already parked there weren't out skulking about. Nobody likes a snitch. The coast was clear, but the lack of forest sounds made me antsy. They were as good a tip as you could get while working in the woods. Looming danger or not, I'd come this far. After sidling up to a window, I stole a quick look inside. They had some guy hanging from the ceiling, his arms bound above his head by the chains holding him off the ground. He was pleading with Galtoro for his life. Why, why would I kill him? P Paris was my partner for... He was my friend for crying out loud. It wasn't me. I, I swear it wasn't me. 
Gulturo sounded like death speaking through an intercom. We've known for some time that you've been unhappy, Martin. Your lopsided business arrangement with Mr. Paris. How you were, at best, his attack dog. Hardly a partner. Now, if you had killed him on your own dime, we wouldn't have cared. But he was on our payroll, Martin. That makes him our property. You destroyed our property. This would have also been fine. Had you something of equal or greater value to offer us in his stead. But you don't. You got nothing of value. You are of no value. All you can do now, Martin, is feed the fishes. Martin screamed bloody murder as his shadow yawned open beneath him, a pit of darkness that stopped just short of Galtoro's metal boots. Something huge and white and eyeless with a mouth like a cavern of teeth breached the darkness of the pit, snapping over Martin like a gigantic bear trap. When the thing sunk back down into the hole of shadow, all that was left of Martin were his hands and forearms swinging back and forth on the chains hanging from the ceiling. But that wasn't the end of Martin. I could still hear the poor bastard screaming from somewhere beneath me, from the darkness soaking the forest floor. The screams moved beyond me, out into the woods, a shark dragging its victim to the bottom of a lightless sea. My skin started to feel warm and I could feel my tics begging for attention. It's always the most inconvenient ticks that wants your attention the most, and so my need to whistle crawled into that space between my tongue and the roof of my mouth. This wasn't my first rodeo, however. The trick was to allow myself to hear it, feel it, over all the forest chatter, which started back up right after the creature below the dark moved away. I let slip the tiniest whistle, just enough for me to detect its presence. Goltoro stopped dead, his goons falling silent as he panned that huge helmet of his around the room. I dropped completely below the sill, nothing of me in view. But who the hell knew what this freak could and couldn't see? The floorboards of the cabin groaned beneath his heavy metal tread where he wandered the room. For the first time, I could hear the sounds of his mechanical get-up made, a weird hissing accompanied by the whisper of running water. Slipping around the back of the cabin, I made for the woods, thankful to watch from a distance. After about ten minutes, everyone but Galtoro left the cabin, all of them piling into the cars and making for the streets of Nighthead. It didn't take a genius to figure out why Galtoro wasn't coming out. Dawn was already streaking the skies. Given the response of the shadow thing from the Idols district, and then the eel creature, it seemed these things all had a severe weakness to light, which was fine by me. Daytime and I were pretty tight. After the sun was finally in view, I decided to break cover. I could already feel my range expanding with the advance of the sun. Specifically, I could sense that the cabin was empty. Of unnatural things, anyway. Thank <laughs> you. 
Once the door was open, I could feel the light washing out the last of the unearthly darkness, order and logic reclaiming their territory. All that remained was a ragged throw rug laid across the middle of the room. Even the chains and severed limbs were gone. At least they cleaned up after themselves. When I felt the cold coming up from the floor, I moved aside and let the sun pass my shadow. There, lying across the floor, melting like a coating of black frost, was darkness, the stain of the other world. The sunlight was burning it away, but to see the shadow putting up a fight gave me pause. Gultura must have left the way of the toothsome monster, a speck of stubborn shade remarking upon the touch of their foulness. I decided to help the sun out and let my power fall across the stain. It vanished like a slug under a pound of salt. On my way back to meet up with Romy, I couldn't help but think of Kyle. He wasn't a great guy, but uh, he didn't deserve to check out Rip Limb from Limb either. But I guess that's the problem with playing both sides of the street. You're twice as likely to get run over. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone, and the Sleep-Wake Cycle theme song was written and performed by Sean Zeller. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about the world of the sleep-wake cycle and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Meltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about the sleep-wake cycle and the larger world of Meltopia, head over to Meltopia.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 